Burning Zozo Written by Kristen Knight Narrated by Nancy Peterson Andy rushed through the key points of what had happened over the last few days and what Arius had said. As she did, Chris's expression went from intrigued to confused to distraught. When she got to the part about the sacrifice, he squirmed in his chair but didn't interrupt. So I need your help, Chris. How do you break a curse from God? He stood and walked to the window, then pulled back one of the curtains and peered outside. What if I asked you not to go back there, Andy? Stay away from him? Not an option. I couldn't live with myself if he didn't make it. Chris put his hands behind his back and tapped one hand on the other. You honestly believe this man is Cain? No, of course not, she said. But he's so delusional that he believes it and won't let me take him to a doctor. I have to help him mentally unravel this contract he thinks he's stuck in first. Chris turned, and the light from the window wrapped around him like a robe. For the first time since Andy had met him, he actually looked like a priest. Strong and heavenly, the image left her speechless. When she finally gathered her thoughts, Andy said, I need to find a loophole, and scanned the room. You don't have a Bible, do you? Are you kidding? Chris walked exactly one foot to a nearby desk and picked up a tattered leather book embossed with two Russian words. Oh, right, she said. Can we look up the story? I need to learn everything I can about this cane deal. I have a better idea, he set down the book. Let us Google. A long list of references rolled down the screen on Chris's laptop. He clicked one. Is this how priests study? On Wikipedia? Well, I'm not a priest yet, so I don't know. But it's a good way to get stuff in nutshells. Here, look. Cain was the firstborn of Adam and Eve, blah, blah, Andy read. But where does it say why he was cursed? Chris read, Genesis says that his family was commanded to offer burnt sacrifice to show their devotion to God. They were given certain rules. One was they had to kill a lamb, the firstling of their flock, then burn it on an altar. Cain tried to get around the rules, offering only grain from his field. His brother Abel obeyed the rules, so God favored him. Cain got jealous and angry and killed his brother, then tried to hide the murder. The Bible says that is when God placed a punishment on him. A curse. Chris nodded. So he was a farmer, Andy said. That's weird. He has this mark on his neck that looks like a bent stalk of wheat. Or a fuzzy seven. Or... Or this. She pointed to a character on the screen. 
the Hebrew letter at the beginning of the name Cain. He has a mark that looks like a shallow seven? Yes. What does that mean? After Cain murdered his brother, he was worried that everyone he met would try to kill him. So a mark was placed on him as a protection. If anyone tried to kill him, they would receive his curse seven times over. The Bible never said what the mark looked like. Well, whatever Arius has looks like a brand. Chris looked at Andy, wide-eyed. Andy said, No, you don't honestly think he'd brand himself because he thinks he's this Cain person? Or does he think he's Cain because of the brand? Chris pointed at the screen. The mark is partly why some people believe Cain is immortal. He read, He was cursed to wander the earth as a fugitive and a vagabond. Some people believe for eternity because he could not be killed. That is where the term wandering Jew and the story of the flying Dutchman come from. What people? He read, Some Catholic mystics, Jewish Kabbalah believers, early Mormons, and other Christians have folklore about encounters with an immortal Cain. And he read the screen. Some people think he's Bigfoot? What? That's insane. There's a Cain in the Quran, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and a similar brother-murdering-brother story in Mayan and Native American traditions, too. Chris scrolled down. Wait, stop, Andy said. There's a section on motive. Read that. Chris read, Genesis does not give a specific reason for the murder of Abel. It is assumed that the motive was over jealousy due to God rejecting his offering while accepting Abel's, but ancient texts suggest something more sinister behind the killing, like a desire to possess the most beautiful woman or land and power. They describe a deal with the devil calling Cain Master Mahan, the father of secret combinations or secret societies and organized crime. They say he's the master of the great secret given to him in a contract with Satan who taught him how to murder in order to get gain. Chris stopped and looked at Andy. Don't stop. This is good. Organized crime, he said. If that's what's going on in that house, you can't go back there, Andy. Promise me. It might explain the money, but not the fever and... And what? His kindness. If he was part of that world, why would he care so much about my little problems and my family's? Wouldn't he be more of a... Uh, a monster? Yeah, I guess. Chris exhaled and ran a hand through his golden hair. Andy, I haven't told you much about my father, have I? 
She shook her head. No, why? He was a very good father, very kind. And I remember he carried this knife. I think you call it a switching blade with a black onyx handle. A switchblade? Yes, that. On the nights when he was home, he would use the switchblade knife to carve me my own world. Animals, train cars, soldiers, buildings out of balsa wood. Then he would tell me bedtime stories with the figures and leave them on my nightstand for me to play with the next day. I thought he was the most magical person in the world, my own personal Wizard of Oz. Then he would kiss me and tell me he loved me every time. Chris's eyes wandered to the window. And I believed him. He paused. I miss that. He looked back at Andy. But when I was old enough, after we left, my mother taught me about a different side of my father. He and his business partner owned an auction house in Moscow. They sold art, my mother's art, and that of other artists in the front of the shop. And girls in back. You mean like prostitution? No, Andy. I mean human trafficking. He auctioned them as slaves. All kinds. Chris said the words slowly, his lips turning chalk white. He worked with the Russian mafia, selling women and girls to highest bidder. Some as young as Steffi. He winced and closed his eyes. I'll never be able to make up for what he did to those girls, even if I spend my whole life trying. Blood rushed from Andy's head as pain warped Chris's face. Is that why you want to be a priest? She asked. At first, I wanted to do it for my grandparents and mother. They worshipped in secret for so long under the Soviet system that becoming a priest was the ultimate freedom for them, a luxury. But the older I got, the more I wanted it for myself. I thought it would be a solid way to spend my time. And I hoped it would silence the part of me that could do what he did, the part that could step over that line. You could never be like him, Chris. He squared his shoulders. You don't know that, Andy. I have both good and evil in me, like everyone else, like my father. She shook her head. You're not evil, and you never could be, not in a million years. Evil always begins with good intentions, Andy. Love, protection, wanting to belong. Things everybody wants. The question is what you'll do to get it. Will you be selfless and patient, or will you take from others against their will, twist things and try to control them? If you start doing the controlling, the taking, the manipulating, you step into evil, no matter where you started. And this guy, Adams, sounds all too familiar. I promise, Chris, he's not like that. 
If I told you the incredible things he did for me and my family, you'd understand. He's just so sick and in so much pain, and I... You what? She chose her words carefully. I care about him too much to let him suffer. You care about your delusional boss who wants you to sacrifice someone for him so he will feel better? Andy, do you know how bad this sounds? He's just confused. And Chen? I think he's just keeping his mouth shut so he can keep his job. Are you sure he's not trying to use you somehow? She put her hands on her head, stood, and paced back and forth, then finally said, No, I don't know. I only know that Arius is in so much pain he can hardly keep his eyes open. Her voice strained and cracked. And if you'd seen, you couldn't watch anyone you love struggle like that and not want to do something. Chris watched her, reading her. You're right, he said softly. I couldn't. She kept pacing. What does the church tell you to do to break a curse? One that was brought on, or whatever you call it, by God. I don't know. Chris stood, pulled his car keys from his pocket, and flipped them once. But I know someone who will. 5.4. Confessional. The bells of the Cathedral Basilica of St. Francis boomed through the afternoon air, their deep notes billiarding off the walls of the city. Chris and Andy climbed the sandstone steps two at a time toward the rich, sweet sound. Inside, the nave was brightly lit by the sun. It streamed through stained-glass scenes of bearded men, then ricocheted off the arched white adobe walls trimmed with Mexican tile. Chris walked to the holy water in the center aisle, dipped in his finger and crossed himself. Andy stood awkwardly watching the ritual. Come on, he waved. Follow me. They moved up the aisle and into La Conquistadora Chapel. Row after row of pews faced an ornate shrine, an edifice of gold-leaved shelves encrusted with swirls, shells, holly leaves, roses, suns, and cherubs, covered an entire wall and held yellowing paintings of haloed men, gem-studded crosses, and dolls dressed as saints. I remember this space. My mother used to pray here for hours, I like to look at the doll up there with the gold crown and dress. Supposed to be the Virgin Mary, I think. I kept waiting for her to say something to me. But she never did. Chris nodded. Andy pushed up her glasses. I also remember how those relics used to freak me out. You didn't understand they were sacred at that age. Or any age. No matter how pretty the boxes are, they still hold the decaying bones and hair of dead people. 
Gives me the heaves. A man in jeans and a red t-shirt was on his back under the candle rack. A power drill complained in his hand. Father Gabriel, Chris said. The man looked up, his ocean blue eyes wide with surprise. Ah, Brother Belikov, Privet. He rolled his R's like a Spanish speaker. Privet, Father. I hope we're not interrupting. No, no, just finishing up here. He revved the dying drill. What can I do for you, my young Santa Feans? Father, this is my friend Andy. Pleasure, Andy. He tucked the drill under one arm and extended his hand. She shook it. She has a question for you, one I couldn't answer. A carpentry question? He revved the drill. No, religious. He wiped his hands on a nearby cloth. That's good. Answers for the soul are free today. Carpentry is $80 an hour. He smiled and patted Chris on the back. Come on, let's go to my office. Chris had been right about the office space. Father Gabriel had a broad view of San Francisco Street and beyond. His windows revealed miles of adobe rooftops and all the people in the plaza below. Tourists, skateboarders, dog walkers, women dripping in silver and turquoise, a man in a kilt playing Toxic by Britney Spears on an accordion. So, what is the question? Father Gabriel asked. Please, sit. Andy slid onto a chair and said, Um, well, I need to know how to break a curse from God. Father Gabriel chuckled and adjusted in his chair. Well, that's not one I get every Tuesday afternoon. He folded his hands and said, I think I need a little more context before I can answer. How did this question come to be? I work for someone, Andy hesitated, the words sounding ridiculous in her mind, who thinks he's been cursed by God. Is he Catholic? She shook her head. I don't think so, but he believes in the Bible. And why does he think that he's, what did you call it, cursed by God? Because of something he did in the past? I see, the priest leaned forward. Well, Catholics don't really believe that God curses people, per se. But if he feels held back by sin, the solution is pretty simple. What is it? He'll need to clean it up. Repent. Just stop doing what he's doing? He said he's tried that, and his fever only gets worse. Well... It's more than just stopping. He'll need to confess his sin to someone, like the pastor in his own church or the person he offended, and take responsibility for it. All of it. Then try to make some kind of restitution. Make it up to whomever he's heard if he can. Well, that last part might be tough. Father Gabe took off his fingerprinted glasses and rubbed them on his sweat-stained tea. Well, as much as he can. And if he does all this, he'll think the curse has been lifted when it comes to church law? 
well, I don't know him, but in terms of basic Christianity, if he fulfills these steps with his whole heart, he'll have fulfilled the law for redemption. Father Gabriel placed his hands on the desk. But, Andy, your friend will also have to see himself differently in order to really change. People who can't let go of sin as part of the blueprint they see of themselves may struggle to ever truly be free of it. For example, have you ever known an addict? She hesitated. Uh, yes, I've known one well. Then you've probably seen how some addicts go in and out of rehab over and over. Why they struggle to quit is because much of the healing for them has to do with their own view of themselves, who they think they are at the core, their own truth. Forgiving themselves sometimes becomes their biggest sticking point. In a way, those who dwell on their mistakes create an addiction of the mind, their own mental curse. He thinks he's pretty evil. Father Gabriel held up his hand. Please don't tell me his name. But what sin does he think he committed? He thinks he killed his brother. Father Gabriel leaned forward. Did he? No, Andy wiggled in her chair. No, he didn't. The priest's brow furrowed. Is he mentally ill? I think the fever or drugs he's been given have made him delusional. He won't let go of this curse idea, and until he does, he won't see a doctor. Chris, who'd been sitting quietly, finally spoke up. Andy, what if he actually has killed someone? Maybe the guilt is what's making him delusional and sick? It wouldn't be the first time. Father Gabriel sat back. Then I would strongly advise you to call the police. The memory of the blue and white porcelain crashing above her head and a burgundy handprint on a sliding glass door flashed in her mind. She hesitated. But it wasn't until he got sick that he started talking like this. Andy, I suggest you let someone in authority know just in case. If he's not involved in something illegal, then the police will at least get a doctor in to help him. It's better to be overly cautious in a situation like this. I'm sure your parents told you the same thing. Father Gabriel looked at Andy over the top of his glasses, waiting for her to tell him yes. Instead, she stood and extended her hand. Thanks, Father, for your time. You've been really helpful. He stood and shook her hand firmly. You're welcome, Andy. It's good to see you again. His eyes glimmered. You've grown into a lovely young woman. I... Thanks. You obviously don't remember, but you were one of the brightest kids in my youth program. No, I remember, she said. Father Gabriel was the man who taught her that if she prayed to God, her prayers would be answered. And so, at the age of eight, she spent six months praying, morning and night, that she would get her own room and her father would get a green card. If God answered her prayers, she could stop getting spanked for waking her sister every time she screamed out from a daddy-taken-away nightmare.
She prayed from June to December with every ounce of childlike faith she had for the miracles to arrive by Christmas. They were the only gifts she asked for. But when Christmas rolled around, she was still bunking with Jenna, and no green card had appeared. She stopped talking to God after that. It just didn't seem logical to talk to someone who wasn't there, wasn't listening, or just didn't care. The priest walked Chris and Andy to the decorative brass door of the cathedral. Feel free to visit again, he said, and smiled. Maybe even for Mass. Chris waved goodbye. The priest shouted as Chris and Andy crossed the patio, Be careful, and waved again. Is he going to call the police? She asked Chris as they descended the stone stairs to Cathedral Place. Are my parents? No, Chris answered. I don't think so. Good, Andy said turning the corner onto San Francisco Street. They found the Cooper waiting for them at the curb. Chris put his key in the door. Wait, Chris. I need to talk to one more person, just to cover my bases. Inside K and H, Vicky was haggling over the price of a Hopi pillbox with a frizzy-haired Australian. Hi there, you kids on a date? Shauna asked picking her teeth with a sterling silver toothpick. No, they said together. Your mom was just here, Andy. She went to get us food from the cafe and call the hospital to check on Emma. If you wait around for a smidge, you can say hi. Actually, Shauna, we need to talk to you, Andy said. In private. Okay, Shauna's smile drooped. Everything okay, sis? She nodded. I've just got some questions for you. Bree, I'm going to take a little break for a minute. You good, hon? Bree nodded, and the group walked outside. What's going on? Shauna asked, worry in her voice, hands on her hips. You all right? Oh, Lossie, you're not pregnant, are you? She looked at Chris. His eyes grew wide. No, Shauna, Andy said. It's nothing like that. I just need some information. Phew! She put her hand to her chest. What a relief! She let out a weird chuckle sigh. So, what info do you need, hon? Well, in the myths about skinwalkers... Not myths! She held up a finger. They're as real as the nose on your noggin. She tapped her nose. Okay, with real skinwalkers, how do they change back, like into normal people? Well, they don't. Or at least I've never heard of one changing back, or even wanting to. So you don't even have any ideas? No, sorry. I only know how to make one leave. Andy looked at Chris, who folded his arms, and said, How? You have to announce them and then burn their nest. Announce them? What does that mean, exactly? Someone must state their name, what they've done, and the real truth about what they are. Has to be said aloud. Doesn't matter by who. 
There's just something about the truth being said that weakens their power. Call a snake a snake, I suppose. And their nest is their house? It might be their house or somewhere else. It's just where they keep the animal pelts and other dark magic paraphernalia. You have to burn it all. Once that happens, they'll leave and won't come back until everyone who knows what they are is dead or gone. Shauna put her hands on her hips and dropped her chin. You need help getting rid of Adams? No, Shauna, he's not a skinwalker. I was just curious, that's all. Well, I'd give you a full set of turquoise squash blossoms to get away from that house. I'll tell you that much. Hey, why don't you come work for me part-time? Take off those glasses, put on a little makeup, and you'll be good as new. Yes? No, thanks. I really like my job. And my glasses. Oh, right. Her perma-smile faded, and she wiped her hands on her skirt. Well, that's right. That's right. I remember that you do. No glasses talk. She looked away from Andy and shook her head. Uh-uh. Uh. No. Guilt stung Andy's chest as she saw firsthand the fear of another Scoggin tantrum in Shauna's face. Thank you, though, she said gently. I appreciate it more than you know. Okay. Well, the offer stands if you need it, Missy. Shauna looked at her vibrating phone. Text from your mom. Her face fell. Oh, no. Something's wrong with Emma. Five point five. Broken. Chris drove twenty miles per hour over the speed limit down Old Pecos Trail to St. Vincent's Hospital. As they stepped from the elevator, a woman screamed. Andy grabbed Chris's arm and waited. The woman screamed again. No. It was her mother's voice. Andy's legs went numb. Her mind lost chunks of memory after that. Somehow she ended up in Emma's room, where Liz held her tiny, tube-free child while a priest prayed with her. The rest of the family stood, mashed together, sobbing. Emma's little bee-stung lips were purple. Emma, Andy said, Jenna, did you put candy on our lips like we did for our birthday? No, Andy, Jenna said through sobs. It's not candy. What? Then Andy's mind caught up with the scene in front of her, and her legs buckled. Chris caught her as she cried up the sickening black terror erupting inside. She didn't know exactly how long she stayed in that room, not wanting to leave Emma, she lost that chunk of time, too. The next thing she knew, she was home. It was dark outside, and Chris was taking off her shoes and tucking her in bed. He slept next to her that night in Steph's bed. The smaller kids were staying at Aunt Kathy's. When Andy woke in the night screaming, Chris held her and hummed Russian lullabies until she fell asleep again.